Welcome to your number one source for technological innovations, ideas, and strategies for your business. Multiply your business's equations and put the odds in your favor. Now, live from Club ITHQ with your hosts, Ben and Sam, this is Tech Factor. All right, welcome everyone. I'm Ben. And I'm Sam. And this is The Tech Factor. The Tech Factor. Right, as you know, the tech factor is all about technology and business and uh, basically utilizing technology to make the most of productivity and find new ways to effectively improve your business. Uh, this is our, our quick wrap. So we uh, basically talk about a couple of articles and a couple of bits and pieces of news throughout the week. So uh, let's just get stuck straight into it. Sam, over to you. What do you yeah, got? Yeah, so I'll, I'll only touch on this one just briefly because I've talked about it for so many weeks now and some more information come out of Toll. So they've, they've nailed it down to what was accessed and they're basically saying Toll Group has confirmed that its latest encounter with ransomware allowed hackers to access personal and payroll details of current and former staff in several countries. Although Toll has said there is no evidence that the data was taken, whether you want to believe <laughs> that or not, they just, I just, mean, they just it, 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 it was published on it. the dark. So they've they've had a whole bunch of information published on the dark web already, and there's more information to come. So to say there's no evidence would be a little bit incorrect in the sense that that information, uh, some and, of the information's already been published. And let's access someone's systems and look at their payroll files. We won't take them. We'll just have a look nah. at them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in a statement that Toll released yesterday uh, on the 28th of the 5th, um, said that it has established that employee data held on servers compromised by the Nephilim attackers included details such as name, residential addresses, age, birth date, and payroll information, including salary, superannuation, and tax file numbers. The information relates to some current and former employees in certain countries, which do include Australia and New Zealand. The incident does not affect toll employees and does not affect all toll employees. And based on current findings, casual staff have not been impacted. Yeah, okay. So I guess one of the things, you know, we're every week we're now talking about Cybersecurity and security breaches, unfortunately, and I think I've mentioned it before in, in um, recent podcasts that uh, you know, cybersecurity instances have, have massively increased over this COVID climate, and it's because the the attack surface now is so much larger with so many more people working from home. And it's going to be something we are going to see every week, and there's going to be a new high profile high profile business. But there's also the again, it, it's not just the the uh, small businesses. It's, uh, sorry, the large businesses, the small businesses as well that are also getting hit. It's just they just don't make the front page of, you know, the Australian. It's, you know, but everyone is getting hit. Everyone's getting targeted. We've seen increases over 400%. It's going to be something we're just going to be talking about on and on and on. But uh, it is something very important. And, again, Toll proves that it doesn't matter how big you are. Uh, you, you know, it's uh, – well, actually, it doesn't – well, we know that the big, the big businesses are going to be hit targets, right? Yeah, so definitely. Um, but I think the thing of it is that you've you've got to take it seriously. You can't take anything for granted. You can't just assume that maybe because you've thrown some money at you've fixed the problem. You've got to be very thorough. Uh, you've got to be doing your security audits and going through and making sure that you've covered absolutely everything. And and you've got to stay on top of it. You know, it's it's an ongoing process. It's not something where 
you know, oh, this is, you know, we had a leaking tap. I'll oh, just fix the leak and right, let it go away. No, it's a bit more than that. So yeah, it's it's kind of something. It's it's a non-stop. You do you start at one end, you end at the other, and then you go back and start again, and it's just never ending. And it's just something that everybody needs to stay on top of. But I'm not going to go on too much about the toll thing. I think I've talked about it for about four or five weeks now. So. Toll's taking your toll. <laughs> yeah, toll. so I just wanted to get put a quick update on that one, and I'm sure there'll be more next week. Yes. Right, so for me, I, I thought I'd talk about the um, – you know, I mean, it's not this is a slow news week, but the, you've probably seen in the in the news the uh, Donald Trump versus Twitter. Yep. Uh, and uh, I guess the the broader you know questions around. I mean, see, this has been one of those big debates that's gone on and on for years. This isn't just a case of Donald Trump suddenly uh, not liking the you know the fact that someone's you know called him out on his bullshit for a change. Uh, it's more to do with the fact that. Um, you know, there's there's been an ongoing thing where Facebook and, you know, I guess to a lesser extent Google and certainly Twitter and a lot of these social media platforms, you know, they've gone ahead and they said, well, we're not responsible for what people post on on our uh, platforms. You know, we're we're just we don't uh, we don't arbitrate or editorialize any of this. We just let people post stuff, and you know, whatever it ends up being. And the, the problem is, it has created, and whether they agree or not, indirectly they know because of the way their algorithms work. They they just feed people more and more of the same. So you know, there's there's this constant feedback loop on on places like Twitter, Reddit. It also is a good example of where there's lots of feedback loops that go on there. Facebook, etc. If you have a certain particular interest or you believe in a certain thing, you know these platforms will feed you more of that information, whether it's true or not. And then then you know the platforms have just said, look, we're not going to take a stand one way or the other. We're just going to let you feed all the information. And it has created a, it has allowed. Uh, misinformation to perpetuate and the lack of truth, and we see things like that through all the five G conspiracy stuff, the anti vax stuff, and all the all the craziness that just goes on in these these social media environments. And they're designed to to create um, those types of reactions. You know, the stuff that gets um, pushed on the platform is the stuff that gets the the likes or the stuff that gets the angry reactions or what we call in commas social engagement. You know, the thing it, is, you the, know, the, yeah. the minority have definitely learned how to use social media to their advantage, haven't they? Well, yeah, and it's it's just a massive, um, you know, it's a massive cycle because you know what happens is the media, the you know, well, a minority will post something outrageous and crazy. It gets lots of comments. It gets lots of you know reactions on social media, and that then. Uh, feeds back in the system, and the system's like, well, we need to deliver more of this, and so it's created this polarization, and it's just created these extremes, 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 and it's pushed us to the point where we just don't even know, you know, what the what sanity actually is anymore, and and what, you know, we can't have uh, simple discussions on complex issues. It's either, you know, five G is going to kill us all, or, um, you know, let's let's roll out. I mean, well, actually, well, five days is not a good example, but maybe let's say climate change might be something a little bit more polarizing, you know, where, um, you know, there's, there's just no sanity in some of these discussions. Uh, and so I, I, I think that, um, you know, look, so Twitter, I think, did the right thing in this instance where they've gone through and they've, you know, rather than they haven't entered the debate, all they've done is clarified statements based on statements of fact. So they've said, look, here's the facts. You can make up your own mind whether, in this example, they've got mail-in voting is a good thing or a bad thing. They say, look, make up your own mind. Everyone can have an opinion on that. Here are the specific facts in relation to voter fraud and all these bits and pieces. And I think that's an, a, 
an appropriate way to do that. And, and honestly, I, I think that would be a good thing if all social media platforms did that. They're not not necessarily saying, they're saying, look, people can have opinions, but look, you know, it's, it's this whole thing of where we're in this alternative universe at the moment um, over the last few years where, you know, people go, well, you know, this is a fact. You go, well, that's your opinion. That's your opinion that that's a fact. No, that's a, that's a fucking fact. It's a fact. A fact is a fact, you know. Um, and I, I, I feel like, you know, where you've got something that's quite clear, it's backed up by by well-proven, well-rounded science, and you say, well, this is a fact. It's not, it's not a matter of variation or subject. You can put that information, uh, you know, in social media, and I think that information, whether people want to hear it or not, needs to be heard. And I think that's really what the fundamental change that needs to occur in social media, and this isn't necessarily even around uh, the whole thing of whether, you know, facts should be displayed above or, or you know, amongst political content. It is just about the way the algorithm works in saying that, okay, you know, because someone believes this anti-vax stuff, I'm going to feed them more anti-vax stuff in their Facebook feed and help reinforce those beliefs. What really should be occurring on these platforms is is getting rid of that feedback loop. What should happen is people should be exposed to, you know, all ideas, whether they want to see them or not. Force them to actually have to think and process information and and reinforce critical thinking in social media. And I think that is one of the, the, you know, if there's one thing that should change in social media, I mean, putting aside this all this clarifying facts or whatever, I think the best thing that they could do in any of these algorithms and any regulatory process for that matter is set it up so that, uh, well, I wouldn't even trust the regulatory process. I would just say to them, look, um, have some, like some guidelines that they should be implementing in terms of their algorithms saying, you know, cut out the feedback loop stuff, have it so that people are forced to critically think and are exposed to things that maybe they might necessarily want to see, um, or they won't just because they won't get a social reaction to it or get likes to it. Um, expose them to it. So if I'm a climate change denier, I'm going to you know I'll still get stuff about facts around climate change or whatever. Or if I believe in the flat Earth conspiracy, rather than being fed more and more flat Earth support pages and whatever. I'll be fed a little bit of stuff from NASA or a little bit of this, you know, to actually force myself to critically think and assess my own decisions because that's what a good, you know, that's what a human being should be doing. We should always be constantly looking at the information in front of us, being, you know, being open and willing to to new information, even if it's outside of our concept of reality a little bit. So I, I don't know. I feel as though if they're going to make change the algorithm, that's what they should be doing. The fact-checking stuff I think is great and, you know, I'd love to see a world one day where truth matters again, and I don't know how you do that. I think you know, it's that's a long and arduous process. But I think social media clearly is going to be on the the other thing as well. And we might talk about it a little bit later. But the um, the other big news that happened this week, obviously, was effectively the death of print media. Uh, and so you know, with, with that, that all comes back into the whole Facebook, Google, and um, you know, Twitter debate about how news gets pushed onto those platforms so yeah, I, your I think i 100 yeah. agree with you there you know it's it, this some of it's just getting out of hand you know if, if you do are an extremist in things social media at this point is almost feeding some of those conspiracies and feeding some of the things and, and making some of these extremists even more extreme because that's all they're seeing so that's all they must believe rather than seeing all of it and, you know, I, I do some of the censorship stuff is starting to come through on Facebook. I've even noticed whereas people that I'm friends, personally friends with on Facebook will post something 
about anti-vaxxers or something along those lines and it'll actually come up in my feed saying that it was blocked because it was under false um, false information and that. And I think I think it all just needs to be about truths and facts and stop sharing things that are just because someone wrote it on Facebook doesn't mean it's true. Mm. And I think part of the problem, again, um, you know, going back to obviously what's happened with the you know, with the media, uh, you know, the journalism is is basically, you know, good investigative journalism is basically gone by the wayside in, you know, in st- you know, by you know, in preference of stuff that gets headlines and gets clicks and everything. But in doing that, we've lost, I guess, we've lost that critical thinking, that element of truth that that really, you know, that we normally, uh, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, get exposed to, and we're not getting exposed to that anymore, and. And now, with effectively the death of, of print journalism in Australia, uh, it's only going to get worse. And so, you know, what what will happen is now we're not going to get any investigative journalism shared on on social media. It's just going to be it's all going to be stuck you know, behind a paywall. Well, or if it's not if it's not behind a paywall, it'll just be some free content that some conspiracy theorist has posted on his blog, and it's get shared around social media. So I feel as though it's only going to get worse because the good stuff, you're right, is paid stuff, and I. I subscribe to a number of independent uh, journalist um, sources, uh, and and I, I do that mainly just to support independent journalism because I feel as though we you know we need it badly, and so I I actually subscribe to it, and I do get some access to obviously news as a as a return, obviously a, a, you know investment on that, which is great. Um, but it, I, I do I do feel bad about the, the fact that the information that I'm getting it's it's of great quality, but it's it's behind paywalls and, and it doesn't get really shared on social media because it, it can't practically be shared on social media. So it's going to be a problem. And, uh, you know, social media is one of those things that, you know, I mean, if social media just disappeared overnight, I think the world would probably be better, be a better place. Uh, and no more influences. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no more. I know. I mean, how, how would I know what, 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 yeah, how would I know what to buy at Kmart anymore without my Instagram influencer? You know, like, I oh mean, my God, like, I, what would I, think, I do? I think some social media can be used for good. And I think the majority of it is. Um, I know personally, I follow a lot of interest groups and, and a lot of things in tech and that and some of it can be really interesting and it's just a bunch of people connecting and sharing ideas and then it's the ugly side of social media that really we should be getting rid of i mean you're right i mean the basic principle of it and when when these platforms first started out and they were fairly innocent in the sense that they were literally just you could post and share stuff and there wasn't any i think once once they started to get a little bit more complicated in their algorithms and how they you know i mean i mean facebook was the, probably the I don't like using the word because it's a pretty, you know, blunt word. But the, I mean, let's let's be frank with it. I guess the evilest algorithm, or the or the or, the, or let's let's say maybe not evil is the right word, but let's say um, most bias. Yeah, I mean most. But I mean the, the the way once they started to manipulate what you saw on your newsfeed, rather than just say, okay, you've got these friends, you sign up to these groups, this is what shows up. So you know, there was there was no filtration there. But once they started to to put implement an algorithm there and and basically change what was shown there based on a whole range of different factors and that feedback loop we talked about, you know, that's when it really started to become a little bit more insincere about what your inverted commas news feed contained. And so, 
you know, this this whole thing when they start implementing algorithms, and the algorithms, again, let's be absolutely clear about it, but the algorithms are designed to increase interaction with the platform. So, you know, whatever can trigger the, the, the caveman brain to use that platform more. And then you know whatever can trigger ways again to make money out of it. So they're they're the, the clear motives of it. And I think once it started to become more like that, that's when we started to to uh, you know head down the wrong direction. I think if you use these platforms purely as just a, the most minimal form of, of as you said sharing information and ideas and keeping it literally just no filtration, just as a you know in, in you know in the instance of where you know I've got these friends, I've got the I'm joined to these groups. This is the information I'm getting, um, you know, and, and no filtration in the way that that's handled. I think that would uh, be a far more sincere way of doing it. You know, I don't like – one of the things I don't like about Facebook, I don't, they're not a transparent company. You know, their advertising really – you know, it really frustrates me. You go – you get a certain ad and it goes, why am I seeing this? It says, you're seeing this because uh, so-and-so like this. No, that is absolute BS. That is not why I'm seeing that. You know, I mean, you know, they don't explain in sufficient detail – how how their algorithm is working and what they're actually doing in the background, and that just that always just frustrates. Take me, me back and, to the MySpace days, you know, going on the page and listen to the music and see your top oh, five man, friends, put all your pretty sparkles oh. all over your page. <laughs> that that top five five friends that was you know that, that wasn't controversial on, yeah, on social that, media. That was it, it was controversial then. for your friends. <laughs> it was like that friend really pissed me off this week. There, you're out of the top five. You. I'm putting I'm putting so back well, in there. I was in high school in the 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 midst of the MySpace explosion, so you know that was the that was the big thing back in school. Was who was in your top five friends? If if you dropped out, you you didn't want to look at them in the eye at school the next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. So it's uh, I tell you 90s what. Nineties emo um, phase. Oh god. Oh no. I don't <laughs> Oh, all right, let's go for one more. What else we got? You want to wrap it up with something? Yeah, sure. So I'll try something a little bit different. The Australian telcos called on dynamic spectrum sharing for 5G. So dynamic spectrum sharing is a radio spectrum utilization technique that allows spectrum to be shared by a number of parties based on their immediate need for it. So this would mean that, say, Optus and Telstra and Vodafone would all share the same same set of bandwidth, just depending on sort of how much congestion they might have on a tower. But at this stage, Australia is going to be shelving their investigations on dynamic spectrum access for future 5G and wireless networks after the idea failed to gain traction. So pretty much the big few don't yeah. want it. I mean, look, I can I can see two sides of the argument. So, all right, so the first side of the argument is this: so you you license dedicated spectrum. It's it's very easy for you to plan and manage your capacity and growth if you know you've got access to a certain amount of bandwidth on a certain spectrum. So you go right. I can from a planning and network design point of view, you know what you've got, you know how much bandwidth you've got, you can plan and you can design accordingly. Whereas if you've got a dynamic sharing side of it, it's like well. If you know if so and so you know let's say I'm Telstra and Optus suddenly has a big growth in that particular area in that you know with that locality suddenly there's less bandwidth available and uh, you know the way I've planned my network has been a bit disrupted and I've got to do something else so we've got to try to get you know more customers away from Optus or whatever so it, you know I, I can understand that side of it but on the flip side uh, you know 
we want to we want to be efficient with our spectrum, and we want to be efficient with the amount of bandwidth that we've, you know, we've got available. The, so. Especially on the finite five G spectrum, you know, it, it is an unlimited, and you know, you, as many people as possible want to use every inch of it. Mm. Mm. So I mean, I mean, that's the thing, right? So we want to, and you know, the thing is, it's going to get harder and harder to. You know, we're inevitably going to have more and more devices running across various RF spectrums, and trying to find free, clear, uh, you know, a clear, clear space of bandwidth to uh, to do whatever, use, utilize whatever technology using them, whether it is like a wireless AC system or a, you know, something running on five gigahertz, or again like a five G based system. Um, you know, that there's we are going to have those challenges. So spectrum sharing is going to be one of those things that we are going to need to. To probably have to consider at some point in the future. So even though it's it's shelled for now, I, I would suspect that at some point down the line, and maybe it's not this year, maybe it's not the next three years or even five years, but it'll get to the point where we'll have to regulate and say, right, you know, these are the public spectrums, these are the licensed spectrums, and you know, this is what's allocated, and everyone just has to work together. And I think as we get smarter and smarter systems, we can, you know, we can have systems that can fill in the the you know that just drop into those little spare spaces of bandwidth as it's required and and drop in and out. Like I feel as though as the technology gets better, we'll be able to better utilize that capacity and be more efficient in that regard. I still feel as though there's more efficiency to be gained in wireless. We haven't reached that that peak level of efficiency yet where we've sort of, you know, got limited gains. Uh, so, you know, there's still a bit more to be gained out of it. And hopefully, uh, I guess, uh, you know, these companies will, will eventually uh, come together on that. But for now, you know, look, I guess it is what it is and I can yeah. understand the reasons for and against. So, yeah, the re- main reasons I'm just reading through the article here on IT News is they're basically saying, you know, all three telcos in Australia, so you got Optus, Telstra and Vodafone have all said basically that, you know, it, it the, the actual benefits haven't been seen yet and yeah, there's real, at this stage, it's DSA is only a relatively new way of sharing the spectrum. So, um, they're basically saying we're not interested because what's the point if we don't know if it's going to be any good? But um, there is also probably a bit of that pushback because they don't want to share it. Um, generally, these companies will bid for their bits of the spectrum and purchase that, and then it's theirs. So I suppose they probably feel about share- sharing it, probably not so much. Yeah, exactly. So I, I guess, you know, as I said, we can understand the pros and cons of it, but it is something long term that I think will it'll come back. Like anything in any good cycle, it'll eventually yeah. it'll come back. It'll be it'll be talked about again, I reckon. Give it another couple of years and it will probably be revisiting it here in Australia. Absolutely. Right, well that's the week. I think that's a pretty good wrap up. I'm Ben. And I'm Sam. And we'll see you guys next week. Take care. Cheers. <laughs>